0: rewind we wind we wind we <laughs> welcome to vcr a vintage cinema rewind we're bringing old movies to new viewers i'm blake and i'm mike and today we're taking on our first australian film and one of the greatest sequels ever made Crocky. Mad Ma- <laughs> no not crocodile dundee oh okay <laughs>
1: mad max 2 also known as the road warrior also known as a pretty good movie
0: Yes, I was it's, super excited to do this one.
1: Yeah, I kind of spilled my I kind of spilled my opinion too early, but yeah, it's it's a good movie. Yeah.
0: It's one of my favorites of all time and you nor Jason has seen it and so for action adventure it just kind of made sense.
1: I actually like I am aware of the Mad Max movies, but the only one I've seen up until uh, the other day when I watched this movie for this podcast, the only one I'd seen was Fury Road.
0: Which ended up making your top list of last year, so... It did, it did. So that
1: gives me kind of an interesting relationship with this movie, which we can get into later. Yes, I'm very excited to talk
0: about that. Let's get started with the plot. A
1: very young Mel Gibson plays Max Rokotansky, the road warrior. So he's back from the first movie, and traveling in even more desolate uh hellscape in the australian outback and the
0: post-apocalyptic australian the outback.
1: post-apocalyptic australian outback that's right and uh he's looking for oil and that's pretty much it actually <laughs> he's looking for oil and he happens to come across the great northern tribe which is like a group of people that have sort of They've sort of fortified this oil rig. Yeah. And they are being attacked by this gang called the Marauders, which are being lorded over by a guy named Lord Humongous. The
0: Humongous. The
1: Humongous. And
0: spoilers, he's humongous. Yeah, he's
1: a pretty big guy. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He's aptly named. So... It's honestly, you summed up the plot with that pretty good.
1: So let me just say that Max kind of... He sort of is not really invested in either side, but he wants oil. So he offers to run an errand for the Great Northern Tribe in exchange gas. for gas. Yes, it is all about the gas in this movie. The
0: gasoline. <laughs> yeah.
1: Is that like really cool opening uh that really cool opening monologue. What does he say? He's like, you know, Max, he was from another time when the world was powered by the black fuel. In the desert sprouted great cities of pipe and steel. So, again, I don't know, Dick, about the Mad Max franchise, but isn't it kind of established in the first movie that the cause of the apocalypse is everyone running out of oil?
0: Yeah, more or less. We'll talk—you know what, we can maybe talk about this now— We're doing the second movie in a franchise, which is something that we've never done before. And honestly, I don't see us doing this very often except for very particular cases. And this is one of them. This
1: is a very particular case.
0: Yeah. And and it's actually a really interesting case because I'm going to be honest with you. The first movie isn't great.
1: That's kind of the consensus that I've heard.
0: So here's the context. The first movie comes out in the 70s. It was made on a $400,000 budget in Australia. Very low budget. A bunch of unknown actors, unknown directors, just unknown period. It's about the australian society in mid-societal collapse and really max is a police officer with a family and he's one of the few people trying to hold things together in this chaotic world
1: yeah and
0: sorry go ahead i was
1: just gonna say like isn't like i i know a little bit about the first movie isn't it it's more of almost like a biker movie yeah. As opposed to like an apocalypse movie.
0: It's it's similar to the rest of the Max Mad Max series, in which the plot isn't necessarily very deep. It's more about the feeling that the film is trying to get from you. And it's okay. often like very, like very fast-paced, visceral kind of feeling. And what I'll say is because of the very, very low budget and what they were working with, it almost kind of Feels like a low budget prequel to this film. Um, (laughs) Like a proof
1: of concept.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's actually closer in tone and filming to like a grindhouse film. Like, I would say Mad Max is more similar to a movie like Death Proof than the rest of the Mad Max franchise.
1: Yeah, I remember, like, I haven't seen the first movie, but I've seen clips of it on YouTube and my first reaction was like, wait, what? <laughs> like this yeah. doesn't look like a Mad Max movie. And like... so
0: what's really interesting about this film series as well. And I actually wanted to ask you this on your first watch and not having seen the first movie, how did you find the opener in intro and in introducing you to this world and the characters and what's going on? Did, do you think that you were able to gather enough from the opening narration to, to really feel like you've been pulled into this world at that point in time
1: yeah i mean first of all what a narration like it's so good i forget who the actor is but he does a really good job and like he sort of what i have it pulled up right now what does he say he describes max as well actually i kind of already said it he's like the road warrior the man we called max he was from the other time when the world was powered by black fuel blah 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 and like that's kind of it that's kind of all you need to know about the guy. And well, like, and this, it also
0: gives this... you, like, all of these visions of what happened over this time and how the world fell apart as well, yeah. right? Like, it's, it's kind of like a, a montage of destruction and chaos and collapse.
1: I assume there's some recycled footage from the first movie yes. there when they talk about his origins. But, yep. like,
0: also, like, I kind
1: of like what this movie and what I assume the next three movies do with Max and that, like... Like he's the central character, but he's almost kind of only tangentially related to what's going on. Yeah. Like he's very much, it's very much like in the Western tradition of like a gunslinger who just rode into town.
0: This movie borrows a lot from the Western genre in in many regards. And I think we'll talk about that in probably more detail throughout this episode and and even our deep dive episode as well. But if you're a fan of westerns you're gonna really find something cool here in in kind of a shift in in the atmosphere but while still feeling at home in a yeah, Western yeah
1: definitely so
0: and and the other kind of thing going into this is like they do a good job of painting the portrait of max as a man who's lost and and in the first one that's kind of the big pivotal moment of the first film is his wife and young young child are brutally murdered by a gang of bikers in the film and they actually show that in in the opening montage i actually think that the opening montage of mad max 2 does a really good job of recontextualizing the first film and actually making the first film make more sense honestly to the whole series but I think as a jumping off point, I think Mad Max 2 is a really great spot to start in this series. And if you're ever interested in the first Mad Max, you can go check it out. But it's almost like if you've ever heard of Machete Order for the Star Wars franchise, it's almost like, what's the first movie called again? No, the I'm blanking. Phantom yeah. Menace. The Phantom Menace. It's yeah. almost like with Machete Order, how it treats the Phantom Menace as a weird prequel that you can just kind of watch on its own without yeah. it really adding much to the overall story and lore of the star wars universe
1: yeah well especially in the context of like this movie and even fury road it's like you don't really need a detailed origin story for a guy named max like if anything it works you know all you really need to know about him is that he's from before the apocalypse and something really bad happened to him yeah that's pretty much it
0: yeah and, yeah, and most of human his humanity is gone at this point, it's been wiped away, and all that's left is the primal drive to survive.
1: Yeah, the primal drive to survive. Yeah. He's uh later on in the movie one of the characters calls him like a maggot feasting on the old world. Right. And I was like, Well, a maggot's a little strong, but yeah, you're not you're not totally <laughs> off base
0: here. The only thing that other thing that I'll say before we kind of move on from this is this film takes place like three to five years after the first movie to kind of talk about For continuity? Yeah, okay. for continuity's sake. It's it's kind of a little bit of a fluid kind of timeline to the Mad Max series. Well, as- I remember
1: um, somebody asked George Miller like what, like with Fury Road, they're like, oh, well, what's the deal with, um, who's the actor's name? Oh, um, Gibson. No, the, the
0: new Max. Oh, Tom Hardy.
1: Yeah, I think they asked him like, "Well, what does this do to continuity?" And he kind of just shrugged and
0: kind of said, "Well, each movie is kind of its own thing." Yeah. So. Yeah, and it, and that's what's really cool. And what I wanted to mention about this is all the films are really independent of one another. They don't really reference each other yeah. a ton, other than like maybe some opening plot points to like help you understand the character of who Max is. But it's often, like you said, it's it's more Max kind of moving through other people's stories
1: yeah and that's really interesting just from Mm -hmm. a storytelling perspective
0: yeah and so it's really cool because it's something and we don't get this much anymore in films because everything has to be a big movie franchise but these are really cool films in that you can just toss one on at any time and and really get hooked on it it's like the old indiana jones films or the old batman films where it's like hey i'm gonna watch the last crusade tonight, because I feel like watching Nazis trying to find the Holy grail yeah. and like, and you don't have to watch the first Indiana Jones movies to check that one out. It's almost like
1: there's probably a parallel universe where every John wick movie is just John wick being sent on a new assassination target mm-hmm. and that's it. That's all you need.
0: Yeah. And yeah. and it's great. I love this kind of old style of movies and movie franchises where you can just kind of fluidly watch movies in whichever order you want. You can check them out, and it doesn't really affect your viewing experience.
1: I did read somewhere that um, there was George Miller, in an early draft of the script, was going to have Lord Humongous turn out to be a character from the first movie. Right. But at the last second, someone was like, no, that's dumb. (laughs) Let's
0: try to distance ourselves as much as possible from the first movie. Let's get
1: it. Let's not do that. Yeah. I really just, I like, as a writer myself, there is something really interesting about a main character who has no personal investment in what's going on. Right. But is still just kind of here. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's almost kind of like, um, uh, you're going to like this kurt russell in big trouble in little china yes like you know this isn't really his story but he's just he's sure participating in it
0: yeah and we're gonna do that movie someday at some point because i have a lot of thoughts on that movie but you're right it's similar to that i will say in big trouble in little china kurt russell's character thinks he's the main character when he really isn't and that's part of the reason why i love this movie so much but this movie max is definitely the the Point in which all things kind of pivot around, but it's really the story of the Great Northern Tribe versus the Marauders. Marauders. Yeah. And even the Gyro Captain as well. Side note cool. Yeah, name he ever. actually,
1: it's funny, the Gyro Captain, he always has, he actually, no, I'll say, it, he has more character development than the main character. Yeah. He's actually more
0: dynamic. The only other thing I'll say about sequels, prequels, and reboots, actually, two other things is. Again, so Mad Max 2 takes place before the events of Mad Max Fury Road, but you don't have to – again, you really don't have to see one or the other first to to really get invested in this world and and the aesthetic of this world and all of the cool stuff happening in this world. They're just really, really fun action movies.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can watch them – however you want in any order. Although well, we'll talk about this in our next part, but like this movie and Fury Road in particular have a very strange relationship. Yeah. But we'll talk about that later
0: sounds good there is also one other movie in the mad max franchise which i'll just briefly mention it's mad max beyond thunderdome it's the third movie in the franchise it takes place 15 to 18 years after the second movie here it is considered somewhat subpar to the second movie in fury road personally it's pretty enjoyable movie it's just there's the movie takes a very different turn than the rest of the series about halfway through it becomes more of a lost boys peter pan kind of film oh
1: interesting
0: and it was actually because george miller wanted to make more of a lost boys peter pan kind of film and then he was like oh we could set this in the Mad Max universe. Um, but anyway.
1: I like the idea of taking any type of story and just throwing Mad Max in it. Like,
0: it's kind of awesome. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> yeah. Like we could do like
1: a uh, pretty woman, but with Mad Max.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: and, like he's not the romantic
0: lead. He's just watching them from a distance. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Characters and people you may know. So we've talked about Max here, played by Mel Gibson. This is the movie and the film series that actually. Put Mel Gibson on the map. We wouldn't have him for better or worse uh, without this film. <laughs> he's definitely one of the more controversial modern actors of our time.
1: Yeah, um,
0: a lot. Of, he's done a lot of shitty things. Has uh, he?
1: I'm actually not super
0: familiar with. I, I read about everything to kind of get. A we full don't have picture to get into it. it. We don't have to get into it. Let Let's just say he's not a great person. He's struggled with alcoholism his whole life, and sometimes he's say and do things that you shouldn't. Don't always drink and definitely don't drink and drive. There's that
1: great joke about, um, remember Craig Ferguson had that great bit about how, I guess, Mel Gibson said a bunch of anti-Semitic shit and he was just like, her people or he were just like, no, 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 it's okay, he's just drunk. And then Craig (laughs) Ferguson was like, he's like, I was, he's like, I was a blackout drunk for 15 years. I didn't know you could get that drunk.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, Exactly. So, uh, Mel Gibson, following this, he's known for a lot of other things, including the Lethal Weapon series, and then also just being a really good director as well, like directing Braveheart. Braveheart! Passion of the Christ, Apocalypto, which, side note, was one of my favorite movies of yeah, last year. Yeah,
1: you wouldn't stop gushing about it last year. It was year.
0: really goddamn good. And Hawks, Hacksaw Ridge of recent, the last five, six years. Yeah,
1: it's funny. Well, I shouldn't say funny, but like he's definitely he's still around. Like, he's still doing stuff. Oh,
0: yeah. He's making movies still. Yeah. It took a while for him to kind of bounce back from the dark, dark shit he was saying.
1: I remember in, I think it was like, what, 2014, you and I went and saw the third Expendables movie together. Yep. And he plays the villain in that. And there's a scene where he's intimidating someone. He just says, like, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. (laughs) And I was sitting there like, we know. (laughs) We know, dude.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the next character who is kind of introduced on the good guy side is the gyro captain. He's got like a, a little helicopter kind of vehicle. It's really cool.
1: What a guy. Yeah, yeah.
0: very, very interesting character performed really well by Bruce Spence, uh, who you may know as Mr. Wall from Dark City, which is a sci-fi movie from the 90s that's a massive cult hit that i personally love as well he was also in the return of the king the extended editions he was the black lieutenant in that which is really cool but you would only know if you're a massive lord of the rings fan in terms of our bad guys in the marauders you've already mentioned the humongous the the leader of the marauders he's played by kjell nilsson who is a swedish olympic class weightlifter
1: okay i was trying to Place the accent in my head. Yeah. I was like, where's this guy from?
0: What's really interesting about the character is for a man who is wearing almost nothing the entire film, he he speaks very intelligently at points in time where where you almost are like, damn, maybe this guy has a point. You know? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Like, you
0: know, you know, maybe he'll maybe he'll be a good guy, you know? Like maybe maybe if you listen to him he'll he'll spare everybody. Yeah. And despite of the fact that he is leading a literal tribe of murderers and rapists and not good people.
1: neer do yeah, yeah. That's the, uh... So, like, you've probably seen pictures of online, but yeah, imagine, like, an eight-foot-tall bodybuilder wearing, like, SNM gear and a hockey mask, and mm-hmm. that's Lord Humongous.
0: Is one of the coolest depictions of a villain in film in my opinion period like just the imagery of this this guy just wild
1: just walk away yeah that's not even close to his accent but like (laughs) just walk away that's not that's even worse but yeah i i have thoughts on the villains but that's for later
0: cool the other villain who's plays a very big part in this film is the character wes who's one of the assless chap uh, marauders who rides a dirt bike or rides a motorcycle with another guy behind him who's almost like his gimp kind of thing.
1: His twink. Yeah. Yeah, He has a very pretty, blonde-haired, younger man in tow with him.
0: And he is a very interesting character because I hate this man throughout the film. Like, he is—he's he's so fun to hate as a character because he's just so comically evil. I have thoughts
1: on the villains, but we should save that for later. But this guy is definitely—he's got a very interesting. He's also, got like a mohawk, like, a, like a red mohawk. Yeah. It's funny that scene where you see the villains and like somebody's like trimming his mohawk yeah. for him. It's like <laughs> oh, we got to get you ready for battle, sweetie. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. My favorite part is um, the opening scene. He and his goons are chasing Max, mm-hmm. and Max kind of, he and to just like shoot a crossbow through the guy's arm.
0: Yeah, Wes's arm.
1: Wes's arm, yeah. And then they're kind of facing each other, and like nobody's saying or doing anything. So Max just very calmly sets him some bulls and starts like right. collecting the collecting all the gas. And then Wes just screams at the top of his lungs out of nowhere, and it's just like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to ignore you. <laughs> 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 And then he just rides away. It's very, he's very like chaotic evil. Like He seems very like, you never know what he's going to do next.
0: Yes. And that's what makes him so fun to hate and so enjoyable to watch throughout this film. And he's played by Vernon Wells, which he's actually one of the leads in the movie Commando, which is an Arnold Schwarzenegger film, which I haven't seen that one actually. Oh, really? We will do at some point on this podcast. I haven't
1: seen that one either. Is he a bad guy in it?
0: Uh, I don't know. I didn't look that deep. The other kind of two characters that I do kind of want to round out the story or round out the characters that you should know, and no spoilers here, Mike. The Feral Kid. This is, and the Feral Kid is one of the more interesting characters in this film as well. There's a lot of interesting characters in this film, to be honest, but the Feral Kid is like literally a feral child that is. With the northern Northern tribe, he was just kind of found and adopted. He doesn't really speak at all during the film.
1: Yeah, he's true feral. Like, nobody bothered teaching him how to talk.
0: Yeah, he just, he, like, crawls through the uh, prairie dog-like tunnels, and he has a cool boomerang that he uses throughout the film, and he just kind of makes guttural noises, but... What I think is really cool about this film, and this is something that I think that Hollywood and and TV really struggle with, is to make children in adult films that are not annoying. And they kind of yeah. nail it with this. Because he's never really the screw-up of the film. Like he's never really the necessarily comic relief per se. He, and he's also like, so to kind of contextualize this, to bring up of recent the new Jurassic. Park films.
1: A Jurassic World? Yeah. Yeah. They've
0: kind of especially the first one. I honestly haven't seen the second and third one because I was really turned off by the first one. But in the original Jurassic Park films, the adults were the central characters. And for some unholy reason, in the first of the reboots, they made the children the central characters in an adult film. And Oof. they were annoying as hell and made terrible decisions. As an adult, like I don't know, I'm not, I'm put off by that. I don't want to see that. In well, my we films. we
1: hate kids. Let's let <laughs> it be known that here on Vintage Cinema Rewind, we despise children.
0: No, but no, like- but
1: I know what you're saying. Like it's very, um, you know, there's this author I like. His name's Brent Weeks, okay. and um, he wrote this series called The Night Angel Trilogy, where one of the main characters is a he's an immortal assassin who occasionally abuses children. Uh huh. And then he did a sequel series. Well, and he did another series called Lightbringer. And one of the main characters in Lightbringer in the first book is a fat, incompetent, whiny 15-year-old boy. Right. And what's funny is that as readers, you read about this objectively terrible person, this assassin, you're like, whoa, he's so cool. Right. And then you read about this, like, whiny teenager, and you're like, boo, he sucks. Like, hate this guy. And it's just interesting how, like... As an audience or as a reader like it's really easy to make young people extremely annoying yes and extremely unlikable
0: yeah and this film is one of those exceptions where I genuinely like the feral kid and his performance think you know what I'll say it I'll say it I'll say it i'll just say it okay? say it <laughs> i'm just gonna say it uh carl think carl from season one and two of the walking dead annoying as shit everyone wanted to die carl to like carl in the later seasons where you were like this is my guy and if he dies i will stop watching and i did stop watching spoilers
1: spoilers i've never seen the walking deads um, i don't know who you're talking about but i agree with you <laughs> carl <laughs> yeah.
0: you know the meme
1: i do know the meme
0: uh, uh, the last character I want to mention from the Northern tribe is the warrior woman, actually, who is just a really cool, badass character in the film. She's definitely one of the lead of the this little military unit in, in the group. And I just really like her performance. She killed it.
1: Yeah. I will say, um, this is a very charming movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it almost kind of reminded me of Die Hard in the sense that, like, it's not like an well, okay, like, it's funny. Like, right. it's actually, considering how, like, bleak the world is, it's a, like, shockingly funny movie. Yeah. Like, um, even just little things. Like, there's a scene where, like, Max is being chased by bad guys, and he drives by the camp, and, like, the wind from his car, like, throws a tent aside where two bandits were having sex. Right. Like, just little things like that. Or, right. like, there's a scene where, so there's this um mechanic who, like, has to be kind of moved around on a crane because his legs are broken. And there's a scene where, like, him and this guy are shouting directions back and forth. Yes, that's
0: one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's... And even, like, the gyro himself, like, everything that guy says is a gem. Yeah. Like... (laughs) He's
0: just (laughs) spitting one-liners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, God, remember lingerie? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, this
1: is a very, like... Like, everyone does a good job, and this is a very, like... Again...
0: You can tell that everybody there making this film was incredibly passionate about the film that they were making yeah and everybody was on board with making this like a a fun serious bleak but also somewhat comedic film like everybody understood the tone on set
1: yeah and i mean i was kind of thinking like watching this movie recently i was thinking like have I not watched this movie before cuz this is almost the perfect Mike movie cuz yeah. like I've talked before about how I like things that are extremely depressing but also really silly at the same time. Right. And this is that movie.
0: <laughs> yes <Yeah>. it is. <laughs> We'll talk George Miller, the director, a little bit now. He he actually started his career as an emergency room doctor in Sydney. Okay. Um, And pivoted into films. He'd actually, because of uh, being an emergency room doctor, he actually seen a lot of car accidents, injuries, and deaths. And Interesting. And so he incorporated a lot of that into the first movie. And I don't know how much of the, the car injuries really play out in the second movie as much. In the first movie, they're really apparent. But I think it's really cool to see where he came from and his understanding of of people's bodies and and injuries and and traumatic injuries and and how how dangerous a vehicle can be right
1: yeah and definitely
0: like this is the other shout out that I wanted to give here is that you got to give a shout out to the stunt men and women oh, yeah. on set of this film like their jobs were incredibly difficult and they like some of them did sacrifice their bodies in this film. Oh yeah, about.
1: there's a there's a couple shots in this movie where I'm just like, I'm pretty sure that guy's dead.
0: Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. sure that
1: is a corpse on screen. This
0: is this is a time in film history when CGI did not exist, and no. people put their bodies on the line for our viewing,
1: for our entertainment. Yeah. yeah,
0: and and so George Miller comes into this with a lot of that knowledge and expertise, and 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 I think that. Without him on set, I think that things, A, could have gone really wrong on set of this film, and B, like he he just brings a very interesting perspective to this film that I really appreciated. Yeah. What's really cool about the history of this film and, and George Miller as a director is he actually turned down directing First Blood to make Mad Max 2. Good choice. Yes. Because <laughs>
1: First Blood turned out pretty okay by whoever directed it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and Mad Max is kind of his, like, his baby. It's, like, it's the Rocky series to Sylvester Stallone, whereas, like, the Mad Max series, like, George Miller actually finished the first mad max movie and because of all the restraints to the budget and he didn't have a lot of control over the creative process either necessarily he left that film wanting more and this was the more that we got and then you know later on we get fury road which is like all of the more you'll ever know oh yeah like fury road is a miracle yes in every sense and what's really cool about george miller reading into him is after the first mad max movie he just decided you know what. I need to be the guy in control. And so if you look at his filmography, he often writes, directs, and produces all of his films and is often very present in the editing room as well for everything. I believe it. Yeah. So the other films that he directed and wrote and produced are Mad Max Fury Road, Happy Feet 1 and 2, Nice. Babe, Babe Pig in the City. Really? And 3,000 okay. Years of Longing. Yeah, he. what's really cool about George Miller is he makes, like, very adult films, and... Films that are a part of my childhood and were very important to my childhood.
1: The guy has range. You gotta give him that.
0: Yeah, he's a very, very good director that should be potentially talked about in, like, greatest of all times. Like, not the greatest of all time, but he's up there. Oh, yeah. Like, he's gotta be up there. You don't just direct Mad Max 2 and Fury Road and not be in that discussion. Right. Happy Feet was one of the biggest films of, like, the mid-2000s. I'm
1: pretty sure it was the success of Happy Feet that got him... The funding to make Mad Max. I think
0: you're right. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: So if you next time you are watching Fury Road, just think about dancing
0: penguins. <laughs> <laughs> um, who this movie is for. So we've already kind of touched on this a little bit, but. This is a film with a lot going on. Like, it's a post-apocalyptic action film. It's a genre film. It's a little comedic. Like, it takes a lot of inspiration from westerns, from road movies, from action movies leading up to this point in time. It's it's a film that has really widespread appeal. Like, this is a really solid movie because it's so goddamn exciting. It's It's paced extraordinarily well. It's a classic good versus evil film while also including a found family element to it right it's almost
1: kind of similar this might be a stretch it's almost kind of similar to like the first star wars movie
0: no it's it's very much in line with that i would like, agree like it that's just, the that's the film that i did could think about when i was thinking about films that were similar just
1: in the sense that like it's kind of got this very kind of simple fairy tale core yeah. underneath it all well this very simple story
0: there's that and the other element as well is the character of max Rokotansky. yeah he's somewhere in the same ballpark as like a john wick or han solo kind of character yeah and and han solo was one that really bounced around my head while i was watching it on this watch
1: (laughs) what's funny i was actually looking it up he's got like i don't think this guy says like 30 words in the whole movie
0: Very, very few words. He does
1: have, he has very little to say. Which is
0: very similar to the John Wick series, right? Like, I'm pretty sure in the three-hour John Wick 4 film, John Wick says, like, 158 words or 158 lines or something like that. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So if you like those films and, like, that kind of protagonist and and that kind of stylized film, then you're really going to love this one, and I can't recommend it enough for you. Yeah, like, I actually wrote that down. Mel Gibson only has 16 lines of dialogue in the entire film. Oh, my God. And two of them are, I only came for the gasoline. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, it must have been, a uh, okay.
0: Here's the only thing. I Like, I've been, I've kind of been hyping this up a lot, but uh, there are a couple trigger warnings to this film. This film is extraordinary violent. It's yeah depiction of evil groups of people, like, it goes out there, like it. It shows you pretty, pretty terrible things. Like there's a full-on rape scene that happens. The dog does die in this film. Yeah, um, that's which, sad. Yeah, which always upsets people. However, I do have a positive note to that. I was reading about this and I thought, you know what? Dog dies always turns people off, but positive to the story in the real life. The dog was actually rescued from a local dog pound and was going to be euthanized. And, Said they
1: made him a star.
0: Yeah, and they made him a star. And afterwards, one of the camera operators adopted him. And, Aww. and he was never in another film again because he lived happily ever after with his camera operator. Buddy. Buddy.
1: That's cute. Yeah. It's a, The dog is actually a pretty good actor. Yeah. Surprisingly.
0: For a dog that was just pulled out of a local dog pound, like this dog was definitely given a new life and forever just immortalized in in this film
1: yeah and like he didn't know he was being recorded he didn't know this was a movie he thought he was just <laughs> hanging out with his buddy max
0: yeah and and his buddy uh the gyro, the gyro captain, captain yeah he actually apparently uh he was really the dog was very fond of the gyro captain throughout the film so like the gyro captain had to like play with him to like make the dog seem like it was more nasty than it <laughs> was kind of
1: thing so that's really that's really sweet yeah <laughs>
0: So just a couple trigger, but I love there. you, yeah, and and kind of because this film, like this film, comes at a really cool time in Hollywood as well, because it's a very aggressive film, honestly, as well. Like it's it's kind of got this like post seventies exploitation kind of aggression to it, um,
1: e, like this grittiness?
0: yeah, like there's a lot of nudity, there's sex there's really horrible rape and violence and stuff like that in this film and so it fits in this weird category of films where you can't really show it to your kids yeah so it's like
1: original star wars if it was rated r yeah yeah and so like if obi-wan cut more people's arms off
0: yeah it's like not really a film that you can show your kids per se but like you almost have to let them find it but like it's worth finding it's worth you know like Maybe tossing a little humongous somewhere in your household to like make your kids be like, someday when I'm an adult, yeah. I'm going to watch him.
1: <laughs> and then you can be like, just walk away. <laughs> just walk away. <laughs> you no, know, then when your kids start struggling, you can like hold, the, like hug them slash choke hold them until they calm down.
0: Yeah. Who else would you recommend this movie to?
1: Uh, this is... Man, this is such a boring answer, because it's what I always say, but, like, if you're interested in the history of cinema, this is a really good read. This is a really good watch if you're interested in the history of cinema. Also, like, this might sound weird, but, like, if you're a gamer and you like the Fallout series, this is almost an official Fallout adaptation.
0: Yeah, and the Borderlands series, even.
1: Essentially, like, I was actually... It's funny we were watching um Castle in the Sky a couple weeks ago and I was saying like wow it's astonishing like how much video games like Elden Ring right. Dark Souls took from this watching Mad Max I'm like wow like Fallout took so much from these movies
0: the legacy of this game of this movie is so massive to 80s action and beyond films and video games and everything like this film it just has such a cool aesthetic all of the time and it's just like banging you over the head with just like cool costume design and cool cars and like cool set pieces and it's hard not to understand why this film is such a cultural staple
1: Again, similar to Castle in the Sky, like it's almost like the world kind of takes center stage even more so than the characters of the story. Mm-hmm. It's like this whole movie is like in its own aesthetic or like yeah. its own
0: vibe. Yeah, and it really stands alone in that sense. Like, and what's cool is every Mad Max film itself is kind of unique in its own in its own way, right? Like, yeah, uh, kind of to compare Fury Road. Like, Fa- Fury Road is like a, it's almost like cultish in in a sense, and like all of the characters at that point in time are, are larger in life, but all of the Marauders, and maybe we'll talk about this in more detail, but the, the Marauders feel like an assortment of different groups of horrible human beings brought together under Lord humongous. And every one of them, like there's, there'll be like several of one group that'll have a very unique aesthetic to the several of another group. And like everybody within that group even has their own, has their own imagery and, and, And vehicle and everything else and style. And it's really cool how it all fits together.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: When to watch... This is a big blockbuster movie. The sound, the score of this movie is phenomenal, which we'll talk about later. As with all car movies, the better your sound is, the better your experience is going to be. Just jack up the volume and and get ready for a ride. Yeah,
1: don't watch this movie on your phone. Like Watch it on an actual TV. Yeah, watch it... Or on a laptop, like I
0: did, but... (laughs) with the sound cranked up to 11 there you go yeah i i think this is a great saturday night watch and and watch with other people because it's a really fun one
1: yeah yeah i'd agree with that like it's a movie that's meant to be experienced with
0: others we've been
1: talking about star wars and john wick a lot it's like can you imagine how sad it would be to watch those movies by yourself (laughs) no go watch it with other people
0: yeah i very much agree um, where to Watch, unfortunately, not streaming anywhere. The very first movie's on Tubi. If you're one of the very niche people who fits with that film, I don't think many people are going to connect with that one. Fury Road's on Netflix, though, which is cool. It is.
1: That's where I watched it.
0: Yeah, so you can watch Fury Road on Netflix, and then you know, go out your way to check this one out because it's really worth your time, honestly.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And that concludes our primer spoiler free as possible episode, So go check this one out and come back next week and get dive in headlong into all of the spoiler discussion behind the scenes and all the other cool stuff. We got witness me. (laughs) (laughs) Nice.